All right, good evening, everyone. Let's, uh, let's begin. So we are in Mirza Hashem, returning back to our true mission of learning Sefer Tehillim in Mirza Hashem, at least for the next little bit till we get closer to Hanukkah. Then in Mirza Hashem, we'll transition to Hanukkah for a couple of weeks. But I want to draw your attention to what I think is a really incredible capital. So the truth is, I'm going a little bit out of order in Sefer Tehillim. And I'd like to actually go back a little bit to Kapitel Nun Vav, chapter 56. And what we're going to see is in Meretz Hashem, like in all of David HaMelech's Kapitlach, that there are so many different layers of messaging contained in Sefer Tehillim. You know, again, I usually at the beginning of every, at the beginning of every, no, I don't know what the word is, not semester or zman, whatever it is. I always give like the same introduction to Sefer Tehillim, which is, I don't think I did it this time, but, but it bears just a moment of, of reflection that David HaMelech, when we are first introduced to him in the Navi, is identified as a young man with beautiful eyes. Beautiful eyes. Beautiful eyes and very handsome. What's of course incredibly intriguing about that is that throughout Tanakh, men are never described by their eyes. Only women are described by their eyes. The first time being, first time being, Leah Imenu. Now, by the way, once we're on that, because we're coming up to these parashios soon, so remember again, the Pasuk tells us, when it introduces us to Leah, tells us, Ene Leah Rakos. So again, all of us are used to the understanding of Rashi, right? How does Rashi understand that? Pasuk, the Ene Leah Rakos, how would you translate it? The eyes of Leah were? Soft, weak, swollen, right? So Rashi HaKadosh brings down the idea because remember again, people used to say, Rivka has two sons, loves, right? Rivka has two sons, Lavan has two daughters. The oldest son will marry the oldest daughter. The younger son will marry the younger daughter. So Rashi says, Rivka spent her whole life hearing that her shidduch, right? Her bashert was Esav. So she cried, she cried, she cried, she cried. So everyone knows Rashi, but I want to point out something very interesting to you, which is, Rashi is the minority opinion on that Pasuk. And in fact, the way most of the Mepharshim understand that Pasuk is Ene Leah Rakos means Leah Imenu had exquisitely beautiful eyes, which is fascinating. She had a softness of the eyes, a beauty of the eyes. And in fact, what the Torah is doing is contrasting the beauty of Rachel and Leah. That as much as Rachel was Yifasma, she was beautiful, Leah was also beautiful. And in fact, Leah possessed an element of beauty that surpassed Rachel's. They were both beautiful women, but Leah had this component of beautiful eyes. Beautiful eyes. And what's interesting is go down a number of generations and you find that Leah's great, 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 great grandson, David HaMelech, who comes from Shevet of Yehuda, who's one of the sons of Leah, is defined with the same characteristics of his Alter Baba, right? Of his great-great-grandmother. And again, if you think about it, you know, you know there's an expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. I'm, I'm, I don't know what the origin of it is, but I'm, I'm convinced that the origin of it is Leah Imenu. Because the idea of Leah's soft eyes represented the idea that Leah possessed a depth which was exceptionally profound. And if you think about it, again, it's not a shi'a on Leah Imenu, but if you think about Leah Imenu, what was her greatest accomplishment? Leah Imenu knew that she was not the chosen wife, right? She knew it. Who could imagine living with a sense of pain like that, right? Knowing every single day that you're not the most beloved wife. Again, in general, existing in a home with multiple wives, 
is a little bit hard to contemplate, right? How exactly that works, right? In other words, how does it work to have more than one wife? The answer is, it doesn't work, right? In other words, there's not one story in Tanakh that works well. Think about this in just a moment, right? Adam, sorry, not Adam, Avram, Hagar, and Sarai, disaster, disaster. Okay, Yitzchak is only married to Rivka. Yaakov Avinu with Rachel, Leah, Bila, Zilpa, literally a disaster. It's a disaster from beginning to end. But what's incredible is that Leah possesses incredible personalistic strength to be able to accomplish her life mission of building a family, of building Shvatim, even when dealing with daily personal pain. That's a depth. That's a depth. Those are the beautiful eyes of Leah Imenu. And David HaMelech has those same eyes. And the reason why it's important to say this, and I, I repeat this every single time, is because when looking at Sefer Tehillim, you have to realize that Sefer Tehillim is looking into the eyes of David HaMelech. It's looking into the eyes. And what would you see when you looked into the eyes of David HaMelech? What you would see is profound depth, layers and layers of depth, layers and layers of personal meaning, profundity to the Davidic personality. So that's it. When we learn Sefer Tehillim, if you notice again in any one capital, we, we could spend months on one chapter of Tehillim. Right? Like you spend months on one It takes me literally 30 seconds to read it. So why does it take me months to learn it? Because again, as we know that every line and every phrase is filled with so much profundity. So with that, let's go back to Kapitel Nun Vav, chapter 56, and look at the following. Number one, David HaMelech writes as follows. Lam Natseach al Yonas Elim Rechokim LeDavid Michtam Be'echoz Oso Plishtim Begat. Now this is one of these great Kapitlach, because from the beginning, you look at the first Pasuk, and what's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is, I don't know idea what it means. No idea what it means. By the way, even the English is not exactly helpful over here. For the conductor, Anyonas Elim Rechokim, David E Michtam. So again, purposely left those phrases undefined because again, we're going to see their subject is so much dispute as to what they mean. Here's what we know. What does Lam Natsayach mean? Lam Natsayach? To the conductor. Which conductor? Good. The conductor of the Levitic choir. Remember again, I've mentioned this also before. David HaMelech wanted more than anything to build the Beis HaMikdash. He wanted more than anything. But he was, Cheshbar who told him he's not going to build the Beis HaMikdash for whatever the reason was. Not our, not, our, not our topic for tonight. He was not to build the Beis HaMikdash. So David HaMelech does anything and everything he can besides build the structure. He purchases the real estate, purchases the real estate, and he composes the music to be sung by the Levitic choir. So I'll tell you something amazing. Whenever you see Lan Natseach in Sefer Tehillim, that means this is one of the Kapitlach, which was sung by the Levian in the Beis HaMikdash. So you have to take that in for just a moment, right? Because we yearn every single day for a Beis HaMikdash, even though we don't know what a Beis HaMikdash is. Right? We, have, we have no frame of reference for it. But I know, I know my neshama knows how badly I need it. And I yearn to connect to some vestige of the Beis HaMikdash, something, something of it. You know, I, we, uh, my wife and I were in Eretz Yisrael the other week. And uh, on Shabbos, Shabbos morning, there is a beautiful minion which takes place inside of the tunnels. They built a shul inside of the tunnels. 
And the truth is, it's right next, you know, if you, if you walk into the tunnels a little bit more, you know, they have the spot, which is the closest space to the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the closest space to the Holy of Holies. I have a particular time of that because, again, women have taken over that space. Right? As, as a man, it is impossible to get near that space without getting some type of dirty look, although I did it on Shabbos. I just put my towels over my head. It worked. Right? So, again... It was incredible. So I was sitting there davening in the morning, on Shabbos morning, literally inside the tunnels, just feet away from the spot of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And I realized that like, the feeling that I was feeling was like a tipa shibatipa, was, was a drop of probably what my ancestors felt like when they stood in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. So there are things that we know that we yearn for, I don't even understand what it is that I'm yearning for, but I know that I want it. So it's just incredible when you read a capital like this and you see Lam Natseach and you realize that we have the privilege tonight to learn something, to learn a capital which was sung by the Levian in the Beis Hamikdash. What an incredible point of connection that is to our beautiful Beis Hamikdash. So, okay, let's analyze. Lam Natseach. So, first thing we know, now, by the way, was every single capital sung in the Beis Hamikdash? No. So, what does that tell you? If something is sung in the Beis Hamikdash, what does that tell you? Special. That it's special. Good. In other words, that obviously David felt this was not just important, but it was super important. So important that the Levium had to build it into temple service. So even before we delve into this, even before we know what David is talking about over here, I know that there's something here of dramatic importance. All right, let's go on. So Lama to the conductor. So again, it's not quite clear how to go ahead and translate this phrase, so we'll leave that. Michtam, also not clear exactly how to translate Michtam, but here's what we do know. Be'echoz also plishtim begat. When David HaMelech was taken captive, or literally encircled, or held on to, by the plishtim in Gat. Okay, so now... Well, it's also beautiful. It's often in Tehillim, David HaMelech will link a particular capital to a specific life episode. So this capital, David HaMelech tells us, this capital was, came to me when I had my episode with the Plishtim in Gat. What happened with David HaMelech and the Plishtim in Gat? So if you skip to number three for just a moment, so you know this story. Give you a little bit of background. David HaMelech is coronated by Shmuel, by Shmuel, right, as king. There's only one little problem, which is, which is, there was a king, Shaul. To compound the problem a little bit more, the king, Shaul, was also David HaMelech's father-in-law. So you speak about in-law trouble, you speak about in-law trouble, right? David HaMelech now is king, is king, and essentially he's taking his father-in-law's job. Now remember, David HaMelech has no interest in being king. No interest, didn't apply, didn't ask, would do anything to get out of it. This is often the mark of great leaders. They don't want the cover, they don't want the honor, they don't really want the responsibility. So David HaMelech just doesn't say anything. Shaul begins to realize the meteoric rise that his son-in-law is having, while at the same time, Shaul is losing his grip. Remember again, Shaul's, and Shaul was a tzaddik but his tragic demise was really, was really anchored in his failure to eradicate Amalek, as HaKadosh Baruch Hu had commanded him. So David HaMelech is rising, right? Shaul is declining, and Shaul becomes convinced that David is the root of all evil. 
actively seeking to usurp his monarchy and to unseat him, to literally overthrow him. So Shaul launches, mobilizes literally his entire army to kill David HaMelech. David will not fight his father-in-law. But it's not just his father-in-law, it's David HaMelech's shita in life, which was an interesting one, that David HaMelech would not go to battle with family. He wouldn't do it with his father-in-law. He wouldn't do it with his son of Shalom. He just wouldn't do it. He just would not do it. So David HaMelech instead runs away. And he lives life as a fugitive for a good number of years. See, interestingly enough, one of the places, so if you take a look at number three, So one of the places David HaMelech ran away, ran away into was the city of Gat. King of Gat was a man by the name of Achish. So here's what happens. So Rashid Mensch actually points out who lived in Gat? Who lived in Gat? Goliath's, Goliath's brothers. So Goliath's brother in Gat, David Amelech shows up in Gat. They say, wow, that guy looks a lot like the guy who killed our brother. Like Goliath. And that looks like David HaMelech, the one who the Jewish people sing about, that he's such an incredible hero. David HaMelech realizes that they know his identity. So what does he do? David HaMelech does something amazing. He feigns insanity. He pretends like he's crazy. He pretends like he's insane. So what does he do? Again, literally, he changed his speech. He changed his speech. He scribbled on the doors of the gate and he drooled on his beard. So he literally, he literally acted like he was absolutely insane and out of his mind. So what happens? So take Pasuk Tezvav. So Achish says, this guy is a nut. This guy is a nut. He's insane. Why are you bringing him to me? And Achish says, Chaser Mishugaimani is a great line, right? So, so Achish says, you think that I don't have enough Mishugaim around me, right? I'm surrounded by Mishugaim. So you think I need another Mishugan over here? I don't, I don't need him here, right? Chaser Mishugaimani Right? So again, so in other words, so it works. It works. Achish is convinced this, this can't be David. This can't be David. This guy is crazy. He's insane. So David HaMelech goes ahead and saves his life by feigning insanity. So again, why is this important? Because the way the capital starts is that this capital took place, or David HaMelech penned this capital, was inspired by this capital with the entire episode that occurred in Gat. Now, now that I know that, now that I know that last piece, we could use that to actually translate or interpret the earlier phrase. So if you take a look at number two, Yonas Elam Rechokim, what does this mean? al so Rashi says the way to appreciate this phrase is as follows. Now, if we translate it, Yonas, how would you translate? Dov, Dov. So, Elim Rechokim, what does that mean? Al-Atzmo, Amar Rashi says in number two, Shahaya Rechok Me'eretz Yisrael, Eitzel Achish, Vayu Echav Shal Goyas, Mevakshim Rishus Me'achish Lahargo, Shene'emar, Halozeh, David Melech So this is interesting. So Rashi explains, now, so again, 
Now I understand that this is taking place as a result of the episode in Gat. So now I want to translate the phrase, Lanatseach, I understand, Al Yonas Elim Rechokim. Rashi helps me with Rechokim. Rechokim means that David Malak says, so far from home. Now the truth is, Gat is actually not so far from Eretz Yisrael proper, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you can be geographically close. But yet, because of your emotional state, you feel so far away from anything and everything you know. So now I know Rechokim. I'm so far away. What's Yonas Elim? Skip to number four. Rashi again says, and this is incredible. Fuhu haya beinehem ki Yona ilanes. David HaMelech felt like a mute dove. So Yona is a dove. Elim is mute. Is mute. So now if we go back to number one, we can look at the phrase, Lam to the conductor, Al Yonas Elim Rechokim Lidavid, Michtam Be'echoz Oso Plishtim Begas. I'm still not sure what to do with Michtam. I'll have to come back to that. But again, David HaMalach says, this is when I felt like a mute dove so far away when I was besieged by the Plishtim in Gat. In Gat, now, again, if you go back to the morning for just a moment, and again, now you can begin to see the rest of the capital really falls into place. Literally translated, Be gracious to me, O God, because men yearn to swallow me. All day long, the warrior oppresses me. And you can see, by the way, the theme of the rest of the capital is exactly this. David HaMelech saying, I feel so threatened. I feel so alone. I feel so vulnerable. I feel so in danger. But I believe, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you're going to take care of me. Fine. That's the capital. Again, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this capital, so we'll go through this upcoming psukim in next week. What I, want to, what I want to highlight to you is something interesting. Lam Natseach, Lam Natseach to the conductor, usually has a connotation of joy associated with it as well. Usually. Not always. But often, if David Melech is choosing a particular capital, ultimately to be sung in the Beis HaMikdash, Labnatzeach has, has an element of joy associated with it. And yet, when you look at this particular capital, you don't seem to see any element of joy. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's David Melech saying, I'm so down, I'm so broken, I'm so oppressed, I'm so depressed. Things are so incredibly difficult. Again, that Lush David Melech uses of being swallowed up, being swallowed up is so dramatic. If David Melech is using that Lush, and this is the emotional experience of this capital, why Lam Natseach? Why Lam Natseach? In other words, it's really two questions. Question number one is, where is there any element of joy? And question number two is, why did David HaMelech feel that this capital should be included in the Beis HaMikdash? Right? Why, why was it necessary to include this? So I want to show you something very interesting. If you take a look at number five, so just going really, really off, out of Telem a little bit over here into the Chomish, not this week's parasha, but in Chomish Shemos. So the Torah tells us about the mitzvah of Tefillin. Mitzvah of Tefillin. And the Torah says, Okay, 
Okay, so very simply, the Torah tells us you have to put a sign on your hand, right? And a remembrance between your eyes, referring to the tefillin shayad, the tefillin that a man puts on his arm, the tefillin that a man puts on his head. And ultimately, it's a reminder about Hashem and the fact that Hashem took us out of Egypt. Okay, take a look at number six, another Pasuk in Shmos, just a few Pesukim later. It should be a sign on your hand and a literally a sign between your eyes. Ultimately, that with a strong hand, Hashem took us out of Egypt. Incredible. Now, the Zohar already points out something very interesting, which is, if you look at number six, if you, if you were writing the word Yadcha in Hebrew, how would you write it? How would you write it? Yod, Dalid, Chaf Sofis, right? And the Chaf. That's how you would write it, right? That's how you would write it. But yet, if you notice over here, how is it written? Yod, Dalid, Chaf, Hey. Which leads Rashi in number eight to say as follows, that ultimately, again, Yadcha is a contraction. It's a contraction between which two words? Yad ke ha, the weaker hand. So we know this is the halacha, that a man puts his tefillin shal yad on his weaker hand. So if a person is right-handed, he wraps his arm tefillin, his tefillin shal yad, on his left hand. The person is left-handed. He wraps his tefillin on his right arm. This is the halacha. And all learned that, yadcha, yad keha. So it's interesting. If you take a look in the Be'er Parsha, he says something fascinating. He says, look in the number nine, number nine, right-hand paragraph, four lines in. My time amr torah tefillin al hayadayim, al yad keha what a strange halacha. In other words, so just, just to illustrate what's happening over here. So the Tulin Shad and Tulin Rosh really represent a full sublimation of self to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The arm represents my physical prowess, right? The head, the mind represents my spiritual, emotional, and intellectual prowess. And what I'm doing is I'm taking all of my strength and I'm wrapping it, I'm binding it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So why the, why the weak arm? Why, why, why use the arm? In fact, again, I, I, I would have thought that in fact it would have been better to put it on the stronger arm, right? Doesn't that show ultimately, again, a complete sublimation of my full strength to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Yet we put the Tulin Shayat on the weaker arm. Why is that? And he says something so beautiful. He says, Ella, listen to this. This is such an amazing observation. Ella, Kilo Hari Hayadayim Kari Aynaim The arms are the, really, the arms, the hands, are different than the, than the eyes and the ears. How so? How so? Remember again, what's come denominator between your eyes, your ears, and your arms, your hands? You have two. You have two. Okay. See, here's what's interesting. The natural state of your eyes is that they have the same vision. Okay, so sometimes it changes, but the mice like the natural state is both of my eyes see the same. The natural state of my ears is that both my hearing is the same in both ears. Anything you have two of on the body, generally again, they, it works the same. It works the same. And he says something amazing. Your hearing in your left ear is the same as hearing in your right ear. The two eyes. 
ובזה נשתנו הידיים. Yet the hands, the arms, are different. Why? כי עיקר פעולוסיו עושה אדם ביד ימין, ואילו ידו השמאלס יד כהוהי. By definition, the arms, the hands, don't work in the same way. Such an interesting observation. Right? Everyone, and not everyone, there are ambidextrous people, but we'll call them, those are the exception, not the rule. Right? People have a dominant hand, a dominant arm, and a weaker one. It's, it's by design. It's by design. My eyes see the same, my ears see the same, but yet there's a dominant hand and a weak hand. And he goes on, So listen to how profound this is. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, when a person comes to put on tefillin, which represents a devekos, a connecting of oneself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hinichu osam daiko alayad hakeya. Put it on the weaker arm. Why? Lohoros ki daiko meachaloshim o mizmane hanesion vachashecha sham hi Iker Dvekos Habore. This is so profound. Says the Bar Parsha. The weaker arm represents the weaknesses in life. What are the weaknesses in life? It's the challenging times, the difficult times, adversity, those moments of incredibly profound weakness. So, what does a Jew do in times of adversity, weakness, difficulty, and challenge? Those are the times that I go out of my way to cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu even more. You see, to wrap the tefillin, to have a sense of Tevekos to Hashem with my strong arm, with my strong arm, that's, avi, that, that's obvious and easy. That's obvious and easy, right? Of course, when times are good, when things are good, everything's going according to right, going to plan. Everyone's happy with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm in love with HaKadosh Baruch Hu when life is going as it should. When is the challenge in our relationship with Hashem? When does the challenge present itself? When there are hiccups in life, and hiccups is putting it mildly. When there's difficulty, adversity, impediments, challenges, hurdles, obstacles, then the relationship is challenged. So how do you deal with that? And what Tebar Parish is saying something so amazing. It's dafka in those weaker times in life that you have to cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu even more. It's Tafka in those challenging times, those times of the weaker arm, that you have to go out of your way to connect yourself with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in even a stronger way. It's such an incredibly profound lesson. And that's why a man wraps tefillin on the weaker arm to show that there are going to be weak moments in life. There are going to be challenges and difficulties in life. And in those moments, what's more important than anything else is that you establish a sense of devekos. You establish a sense of connection, beautiful relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that relationship is more important when you're in left-handed times, using the left as the weaker one, than when you are in right-handed times of goodness, beauty, and prosperity. Such an incredibly different way to look at the mitzvah. Now, why is this important for us? Because I think that's what's happening in this capital over here. What's really unfolding over here is we're asked before, right? This capital, such a capital of adversity, right? Can, can you imagine, by the way, David HaMelech, just understand, David HaMelech, anointed by Shmuel, chosen 
by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to be king, and not just to be king, but to be the founder of a dynastic monarchy. David HaMelech, the father of the messianic line, finds himself alone in Gat. And the only thing he can do to save himself is what? Literally drool on himself. Literally drool on himself. Act like an insane individual. Like he's out of his mind. What a low point in David HaMelech's life that must have been. Or, I mean, or bad enough, yeah, my father was trying to kill me. A lot of people have that problem, right? I'm saying like, right, bad, right, bad, bad, bad enough, ultimately, again, that I have familial strife or all this stuff. But like this? What what has my life come to? So David HaMelech says, you'd be tempted to think that in moments like this, it's easy to say, Hashem has turned his back on me and I'm going to reciprocate. I'm going to turn my back on him. But in fact, Aronot does just the opposite. In that moment when life became so exceedingly difficult and his circumstances became so compromised, in that moment when life for David HaMelech had really become so incredibly terrible, what he did was he doubled down on his relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He made it stronger. He intensified it. He clinged to HaKadosh Baruch Hu even more than he had before. You see, what this capital is describing is one of those left-handed moments in life. One of those moments of profound... And isn't it incredible? You see, when things don't go according to plan, what we do is we question. And that's okay, by the way. It's okay to question. And it's okay to doubt. And it's okay to wonder. Remember, I want to point out, even David HaMelech, who's doubling down over here on Emuna, is the same David HaMelech who writes, Keili, Keili, Lama Azavtani. Right? So remember, again, there are different stages in life. But how do you deal with adversity? So the way you deal with adversity, David HaMelech says is, when I am in, am in those left-handed moments in life, that's when I need Hashem even more. But one second, that's so counterintuitive. Because when I'm in difficult moments of life, maybe I'm angry with Hashem. Maybe I'm disappointed with Hashem. Maybe I'm disillusioned with Hashem. Why did you do this to me? Why did you put me here? All good questions. But David HaMelech I'm just telling you, when you're in a bad place in life, a left-handed moment in life, that's when you need Hashem even more. And that's when you have to struggle to solidify the relationship even more. That's what's happening in this capital. That's Lam Natseach. That's what David HaMelech is saying over here. Lam Natseach. This capital, this needs to be sung by the Levitic choir in the Beis Hanikdash. Do you know why? Because this capital is the roadmap for navigating the left-handed moments of adversity in life. What do you do in life? Ayonas elim rechokim ledavid. What do you do in life? When you feel like David HaMelech, and you feel like a mute dove that is so far away from home, because life has clearly not gone your way, and things have gone so sideways, and nothing's turning out the way that you wanted it to be, what do you do in those moments? What do you do when you feel like David Bechoz also plished him begat? What do you do? And look at the next words. The next, the thing you do, double down, bolster your relationship even more. And it's hard. Why, why is it hard? Let's always just move, because it's important to be honest. It's hard because in those moments when I feel like a muted dove so far away from home, in those moments where I feel encircled by the Philistines of life in God so far away, I'm angry at a Baruch Hu. 
and I feel distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But yet, how do you go ahead and deal with being angry at God and distant from God? What do you do? You put more effort into building a relationship. You put more effort into building a relationship. That's when now I realize, okay, I'm upset. I feel a little bit disillusioned, but I also know that I need you now more than ever. I'm going to double down. Chaneni Hashem. Chaneni Elohim. Ultimately, again, David Amal feels so far away. The muted dove, I need you even more. And this creates, I think, an incredible paradigm for life. Because don't, don't we all experience this at different times? And again, we all experience disappointment, disillusionment, failure, adversity. It's only a question of how intense it is, but we all have it. And we all have those moments where we feel that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should have come through for us in a different kind of way. And that's okay. We think we understand the world. We don't understand the world. We think we understand how our life is supposed to go. We don't understand how life is supposed to go. So we have those moments of disillusionment. So what do you do? What do you do? And it's so tempting to pull back so tempting to pull back. It's so tempting to create a distance. But no, no, no. David Amalek says, it's Tafka in those moments where you need a Kaddish Baruch Hu even more. So figure out what you need to do to come closer. Figure out what you need to do in order to go ahead and bolster that bond. Figure out what you need to do in order to create even a heightened sense of Devegas. And I'll share with you an incredible example of this. I didn't put this on the sheet. We'll do this outside. So there was a great tzaddik named Rav Yaakov Yoshua Falk. Rav Yaakov Yoshua Falk lived from 1680 to 1756. He was born in Krakow, Poland. He was a Rav in a number of different cities, including Lemberg and Berlin. Uh, Rav Falk, Rav Yaakov Yoshua Falk, is most famous for his Sefer, the Pnei Yoshua. Pnei Yoshua is like a staple for anyone learning Gemara. Necessary savory. You'll find in any yeshiva, Pnei Yoshua, one of the, one of the greatest farm. In the introduction to the Pnei Yoshua, he tells a story, the Mechaber, the author of Rafalk, tells a story about how he came to write this sefer. So, so listen to this. He describes an event, he describes an event that occurred in 1702. 1702. So you have to, yeah, right? So it's 1702, and amazingly enough, pretty much, yeah, about, about 220 years ago, almost 220 years ago to the day. L- listen to this. It happened to me in the year 1702 on the 3rd of Kislev. So pretty much like, 220 years ago, right? Almost exactly, right? When is Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Chodesh is, Rosh Chodesh is tomorrow night, right? Tomorrow night, Thursday, Friday. So again, Gimel, Gimel Kislev 1702. So almost exactly 220 years ago. He was a Rav in the city. He wasn't a Rav. He was, he, he, I mean, he might have been the Rav. Yeah, he was a Rav. No, he wasn't a Rav. He was a Rebbe. He had a base madrash in the city of Lvov. Okay, listen to this. Sholev Hayisi Bebesi, Veranon Behechalim Chaverim, Sir Falk writes, my life was perfect. It's incredible. You don't hear that often. My life was perfect. I had a base medrash. I had talmidim. I was giving shir. I had friends. I had a family. Life was perfect. Upesa pitom. 
Then suddenly on the third of Kislev in 1702, My entire city was turned to rubble in a matter of moments. What happened? He quotes over here, Umare Ishagidola so what happens? To tell you this outside, they were storing, the government was storing gunpowder in one of the, in one of the storefronts. Somehow the gunpowder ignited and caused massive explosions throughout the entire Jew. It was an accident throughout the entire Jewish neighborhood in Lvov. Leveled multiple buildings killed hundreds of people on that day. He goes on, he says, Houses came down, buildings came down, the entire city, the entire city, ultimately again was turned upside down. Listen to what where Falk writes. Amongst the people who were killed, So my wife, died, my wife died in the explosion, her parents died in the explosion, her grandmother died in the explosion. My little baby Gittel, my daughter, died in the explosion as well. So you have to understand what happened over here. In the morning of Gimel Kislev, Rafalk said, my life is perfect. My life is perfect. Explosion happens in a matter of moments he loses his entire family. His daughter's gone, his wife is gone, his in-laws are gone, his wife's son, everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. So look what he writes. What happened to Rafalk? Rafalk, the Pnei Yoshua, was stuck under rubble. He was buried alive under rubble. Probably under rubble. So what happens? He goes, He said, I couldn't breathe. There was so much rubble on top of me that I had difficulty breathing. He goes on, he says, he goes on, he says, he's talking about the conversation that he's having with HaKadosh Baruch Hu while he's buried underneath the rubble. Right? So again, I don't, I don't know that he knows, like when he's buried underneath the rubble, I don't know that he knew that his wife was dead and that his daughter was dead. I, I don't know what he knew, but he also knew that like th- this was the end. This was the end of the road. As Amarti Odenabasohagal said, while I was trapped under the rubble, I said, If you save me, I lost my wife, I lost my daughter, I lost my family. But if you allow me to somehow escape this, I will rededicate myself to building Talmidei Chachamim. I will make sure to rededicate myself to learn. And ultimately, again, I will write Svarim in order to facilitate the learning of other people. The learning of other people. So this was the Kabbalah. This was, this was the nether, so to speak, the vow that Rafal took while he's underneath the rubble. So he's saying, I couldn't even like say this out loud because I couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe. So he's saying, as soon as I finished saying these things in my heart, 
says, right after I made this promise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I was saved from the rubble. People heard me, they cleared a path, and I was able to get out from the rubble. The truth is, there's much more in the introduction that's even more dramatic. But why am I sharing it with you? Because to me, this story is, it's tragic, it's overwhelming, and it's inspiring all at the same time. Because it's an incredible metaphor for life. So often, we get trapped under the rubble, the metaphoric rubble, right? It, it happens that I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, every, right? everything is going according to the way I think it's supposed to go according. And then the buildings collapse, the life edifice collapses, things are imploding and things are not going well. Things are not going well. And I feel like mamish, like, like, like the life being squeezed out of me. So what do you do? What do I do in those moments? So again, you know, sometimes I say to myself, well, one second, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're the one who brought the rubble down on me, right? You're the one who did all this on me. So like, I'm a shtekel bragis, right? I'm like a little bit upset. I'm a little, I'm a little bit hurt. And I'm a little bit disdainful of, of why it is. Now again, the problem is that thought and that approach gets you nowhere. Instead, what my job is to do, as difficult as the situation is, the only way for me to get out of the rubble is with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help. I can't get out of the rubble by myself. I can never get out of the rubble by myself. But with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help, I can extricate myself from anything. So when buried under the rubble of life, the Pineo Shua tells us, that's the time to rededicate yourself to creating a relationship with Hashem. That's the time to double down. That's the time to recommit. That's the time to build. That's the time to bolster. But again, the Pnei Yoshua was not the first one to teach us this lesson. This is what David Amalek is teaching us in the beginning of Kapitol Nunba, the beginning of chapter 56. There are times in life when I'm buried under rubble. There are times in life that I feel like the mute dove. There are times in life that I feel so alienated and so far away from the life I wanted and I thought I would have. In those moments, the thing that is key to life success is doubling down, bolstering, building, and growing my relationship with Hashem. Now, how we do that and what we need to do, that's much more personal. And that's much more, that's much more subjective depending on what my particular life circumstance is. But this says David HaMalach, this says the Pnei Yoshua, is the blueprint for success in life. And this is why David HaMelech wanted this capital sung in the Beis HaMikdash. Because we all have moments of being buried under the rubble, rubble. And we all have times when we feel exiled, ultimately again, to God. And it's in those moments where even if we feel a little bit upset, a little bit disenfranchised, and maybe even a little bit betrayed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at the same time, I also recognize that it's now more than ever that I need Him. And I have to reach deep within myself to figure out how could I strengthen the relationship? How could I build the relationship? How could I bolster the relationship? Because if I could do that, I'll get out of my exile from God back to my promised land of Eretz Yisrael. If I could do that, I'll pull my way out of the rubble. And we'll stop over here for tonight. We will pick up in Eretz Hashem. We're going to spend one more week on Kapitol Nunvav next week. And then I think that's going to bring us close to Hanukkah.
I think, within Hanukkah. I think within two weeks. We're going to spend a week or two before Hanukkah, Mirat Hashem, focusing on Hanukkah. But again, next week, Mirat Hashem, Kapitol Nunvav. Have a wonderful evening, everyone.